0: Now, Vernon never quizzes you about that again, you can look at the window. There's a little help there, all right? Look at the window. It's kind of like the cheat sheet. Let me ask you, uh, those of you who have brought your scriptures, turn to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, and we will go through that in just a moment. I want to say a couple of uh, uh, initial words. First of all, I too want to welcome Mike Gadkins back to the uh, back to Northland family and and uh, back to the staff, what a great uh, um, pastoral counselor and, and, and brother that, that guy is. He came from Granger uh, Community Church, about six miles from um, the Michigan line. And that's where my son Isaac and his wife Rhonda have gone uh, to be the director of youth ministries at that church. So we kind of did this swap thing. We got Mike and Kelly. They got Rhonda and Isaac and a future graft choice. That's how... <laughs> That's how those things work out. Um, Secondly, um, I want to um, say that um, the, the message this morning is going to be frustrating for some of you. Because I know how much fun it is to come to church and just have something you can go out and apply. You know, give us something, Pastor, we can just go out and just do that week. And we're talking about the name of God. And that's not something you go do. That is, This is a matter not of function, but of intimacy. And I, and I want to I tell you that there are, we're addressing a lot of verses. We're not going to go verse by verse like we do often. I'm going to give you today the environment that will help you read this full text to yourself. Verses 12 through 59. So that as you read them this week, as you, many of you have been preparing, you've already read them through our uh, uh, Bible, personal Bible study. So you're already, already prepared. I want you to go back and I want you to read these verses, verse by verse, after you hear what I have to say. So that you can put them into context and get even more. The Holy Spirit will teach you even more out of these verses. All right. Now I want to set the context for you. You remember that in this context we are still at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. That begins in the first part of the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John. Feast of the tabernacles, or booths, was when people gathered during the fall. It's the last of the Jewish feasts of the year. Usually in October, they gather. It's a time where for eight days they celebrate. They partake of the fruit of the vine, of the fruit of the trees. There's a great celebration. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem. They're all living in these little booths, or many of them are. Um, and it is at that time that the Pharisees choose to observe the tremendous influence Jesus is having on the population. They become threatened by it and they begin to question him. As a matter of fact, they begin quite hostile questioning. It's, it's almost as if they had a stone in one hand and a question in the, in the other Um, But Nicodemus steps in at the last part of the the seventh chapter and said, wait a minute, you cannot go against a man, it's according to the law, until you know about him. You must know about him. So they begin to ask him questions about himself. Now you remember last week, there was a little parenthetical event that happened. And that was when they brought the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and, and put her before Jesus. Now after that happens... The questioning goes on. Only Jesus now takes the initiative. Jesus begins not just to respond to the questions, but to begin to volunteer things that they may not yet be able to comprehend, but he wants to give it to them. So we begin in the 12th verse of the 8th chapter. And Jesus says this. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying... I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, I want just a just to pause here just with that verse and I want to point point you to something that Jesus often does throughout the gospels. As a matter of fact, when I first uh, uh, got the impression from the Lord that I was supposed to preach on on the I am's of God, this is where I first went. Jesus often uses metaphors. He uses metaphors in order to accommodate our limited understanding. Metaphorical language uh, brings a picture in our mind, it brings a function in our mind. And therefore, in other parts of the Bible, Jesus Jesus would say, I am the bread, I am the vine, I am the way, I am the truth. Um, um, I am the door, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, and so on and so forth. Metaphors that can help us fit into our mind not only who God is, but what He does for us. Now that has both an aid and a limitation attached to it. And let let me talk a little bit about the limitation, how God accommodates our limitations... But if we stay with our limitations, we will never become intimate with God. First of all, he accommodated uh, us by giving us that picture and and by allowing us to not pretend to be capable of, of understanding who God really is. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a prohibition against pronouncing the name of God. To an Orthodox Jew, there was a prohibition against writing the name of God. And that was so that people would never get the impression that they were on any kind of peer level with God or that they're even worthy of speaking the name of God. As a matter of fact, there was a tradition among the Jews that said the first time the name of God is spoken out loud in public, it is the Messiah who will speak it. And I want you to know, in this chapter, that's exactly what Jesus does. So it was a very blatant and very clear claim to be the Messiah. But beyond that, there is this, there is this um, respect. There is this reverence that will not allow you to use the name of God flippantly or profanely uh, in the Old Testament. Now, now, you all know what that's like. This is Mother's Day. How many of you grew up calling your mother by your first name, you know? Hey, Barbara, how about a sandwich? Sharon, <laughs> you want to give me? No, you didn't do that. If you did and you had the mother I had, that would have been hazardous to your health. <laughs> Things would not have gone well for a very long period of time for you. Why? Because it was a matter of respect. It was a matter of reverence. You weren't peers. She was your parent. Now, Part of that is wonderful in that you give her the respect that is due her. But part is a limitation because you begin to associate that title with the way she serves you. With what she does for you and therefore mother to you, whereas you certainly love your mother, really in your mind becomes a person who is functionally beneficial to you. My mother was the one who ironed my clothes. My mother was the one who cooked my stuff. My mother was the one who helped keep me straight. My mother was the one who... And so in your mind, you develop a relationship only as far as the mechanics, only as far as that which benefits or is utilitarian in your life. Now, I hope that many of you live long enough to know that your parents are really people. I hope, that, I hope that just like dawns on you someday. My mother is a woman. She's like a person. She has feelings. She had a background herself. She had rough times herself. She goes through these times herself. I hope that dawns on you someday. That's a wonderful revelation. And when it does, there will be a breakthrough to a whole nother kind of relationship with her. Because watch this, relationships that go beyond mechanics are of greater depth, of greater benefit, but they are frightening. And that's why not many people take them beyond the mechanics. And that's why the Jewish leaders are so frightened now. Jesus is starting to get outside the categories. Let me give you an analogy. Many of you are familiar with computers. Many of you work with computers. You know that these days what is happening is that we are beginning to face the limitations of Moore's law. Now, the reason that this is a concern to our general economy is that for the past 10 years, Our economy has been largely fueled by the advancement in technology. We're not living through such good times because we have wonderful, smart governmental leaders who has finally landed us on. No, there is this this whole technological advancement that has largely fueled our economy. And that has been largely driven by the development of computers. Now, very early in the development of computers, they ask a man named Moore, how fast could this thing develop? And how would it develop? And, and whereas, and I get this, by the way, if you want a good reference, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology puts out a magazine called Technology or New Technology or, or something. I subscribe to it. I just don't read the cover. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and this month has a whole um, um, uh, section on the advancement, the, the next stage of computers but very early in this thing, the man named Moore said, well, I, I think that what will happen is that roughly every year, the capabilities of the computer will double. Well, that's exactly what happened. First computer in 1964, first real silicon computer, had like uh, 32 um, circuits. The, the, one, the year after that had 64. The Pentium three, put out last October had 28 million circuits on a single slice of silicon. However, what has happened is that as the computers have, have diminutized the uh, circuits so that more and more of them could fit, what has happened is, the, is that the expense to build these plants that would build these smaller and smaller uh, computers has advanced. And so, the capabilities have, have been doubling, but so have the expenses. Now, it looks like, no, it doesn't look like it is. There is a, there is a, lim, there is a limit to physical uh, capabilities that there's only so far down you can go. And in five years, if we could go down to, you know, n- nanotechnology to the degree that it would be s- the smallest we could possibly uh, do uh, mechanically, physically, it would take roughly the, 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 the size of our, our gross national product to build a factory that would produce that. So, so what is happening is that computer experts are beginning to say, there's a limit to this, and therefore there's a limit to the benefit to the economy. What's the next stage? And the next stage is this. This is, this is the analogy extended. I'm sorry it's taking so long here, but I'm fascinated with this. Can you tell? <laughs> the next stage is molecular electronics. That is to say that if technology can learn to manipulate molecules, that is if they can go from the mechanical to the organic, what will happen is the capabilities will multiply by literally millions. Because if you can get that which is living to function, um, uh, uh, that that takes on then the capability that will multiply our capabilities by millions and the expense goes to almost nothing. What's the drawback? You knew there'd be a drawback, didn't you? When you get down to quantum reality, that is the smallest bits of the universe, You can't always control it. You can't always control the spin on an electron. And so that which has the greatest capability also has the least controllability. Now bring it back to our relationships. The greatest capability in relationships are not the mechanical roles that we play with one another. That is many times the initial and most elementary form of relationships. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. And when we come to God, many times we come to God in a functional relationship. God, you saved me from my sins. I'll obey your laws. If you do this for me, I'll read your word and so on and so forth. And we have what is a mechanical relationship. Now, please listen to me. That's good as far as it goes. That's good as far as it goes. God loves to help his people out. And God calls us into a relationship. But that's not intimacy. That's not intimacy. You see, if you, if you love somebody only for what they can do for you, if the relationship continues to be only predictable and only mechanical, then you will find not only have you limited your capability with one another, but the cost of that really goes up. Because the more you try to control the details, the amount of resources and energy you need to spend in that are monumental. No, watch this. When you go from the mechanical to the organic, when you go from that which is technical to that which is living, that capability multiplies by a million you just can't control it anymore. And that's the problem. And that's the promise. So if we could love each other for who we are, instead of for what we do for each other, if we could love God for who he is, instead of what, we could, what, we, what he could do for us and what we could do for him, then the capability and the depth of that relationship multiplies a million over. It's just scary. Now, Jesus is teaching these people. He starts off with a metaphor, but he doesn't stay with a metaphor. There are metaphorical I am's in the Bible, but there are seven I am's in this chapter. I won't read them for you. I want you to read them yourself. And what he's trying to say to them is, I am who you see, but I am way beyond who you see. Look, for example, at verse 15. I'm sorry, uh, verse 16. He says, My judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and he who sent me. This is very key. Jesus begins with this, a whole unfolding of, I am both what you see and what you don't see. Both what you can understand and what you can't understand. But in order to understand what you can not understand, you've got to have some semblance that there's something you can't understand. And that's what's so problematic for them. You see, it says in verse 15, you people judge according to the flesh. When they ask in verse 25, who are you? He named named their limitation before they ever got there. He said, "You're, you're judging according to the flesh. You're judging only according to what you have understood me to be before. And I am a fulfillment of what you had before. You had all of these names of God before. We have taken the names and we have given you in me a relationship. We have taken an attribute and we have given you a person in me. Now, this is so difficult for them because, as I said, it's very threatening. And besides, from time of the garden, we have wanted to control our world. I like what Pastor Orlando says. Pastor Orlando says, you know, the reason I like the I am's of God is because every time I say an I am of God, I've got to say an I am not of myself. And that relieves me of a great responsibility. Well, that's mature spirituality. Not many people have that. If you say, God is the light, you've got to say a companion, I'm not the light. That means I'm not the light. God is the Savior, I'm not the Savior. God is the good shepherd, I'm just, I'm not even close. God is the door, I'm not the door. But there are people, when you first start out, that don't like that, because it puts them out of control. And so their first business is to eliminate the competition, so to speak. Because, because they came into this thing wanting to see what they could get out of it. Isn't that normal? It's normal, but it's not of the kingdom. It started out in the Garden of Eden where it seemed like God was saying to Adam, I'm God, therefore you can't be God. You're going to have to trust me on this one. And Adam and Eve weren't satisfied with that. We all have that problem. We all have that little, well, I want to be that. I, I was reading this week uh, Leonard Sweet's uh, Soul Tsunami. I love, I love the way Sweet writes. He, he writes kind of a free association kind of thing. It's, it's kind of a postmodern, uh, it's like reading a dictionary. The plot keeps changing, you know, and he just kind of, uh, you know, but he's writing about the church. He's, he's really good. And, and, and he wrote in this book uh, a, a couple of stories that, that I thought were, were appropriate here. Uh, he, he wrote about a patient going to a psychiatrist. And this was his first time at, at this particular psychiatrist. And he lays down on a couch and, and the psychiatrist looks at him and says, well, I, you know, I don't, know you, don't know your, your problem, so why don't you just start at the beginning? And the guy says, okay. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> There's the problem right there. <laughs> all of us, all, we wouldn't go that far, but we all kind of want to be that person. The, the very words in Greek, I am, ego, I me. Mean. Ego, you, 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 you recognize that first word, ego. That's what it is, I. And so we come into the faith wanting the faith to be centered on us. I I love the joke about how many egotists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one. And he doesn't even have to move. All he has to do is hold it up and the world revolves around him. (laughs) A lot of us came into the faith like that. And it is effective for some of us. People stay in a very elementary and a very immature stage spiritually because they can just get out of the faith what they need to get out of the faith. They can get comfort. They can get a sense of forgiveness. They can get a sense of hope. And and, And they walk away with that. The problem is sometimes that which is effective is not totally appropriate. 1996, another story in Sweet's book. 1996, a man was arrested in a ladies' restroom, Wisconsin. Arrested in a ladies' restroom, and they took the guy out, and they said, "What were you doing in a lady's restroom?" And he looked at him and just plainly said, "Seemed like a good place to meet women." <laughs> well, that's effective, but it's not appropriate. You understand? There's a difference. There's a big difference. It may be effective to focus on the functional or mechanical aspect of a relationship with God, but it's not wholly appropriate. Forgive the pun. It is not that which does most reverence to God, not that which becomes most intimate with God. So as you read these verses, You need to read with this in mind, that Jesus is sharing with them that which is very plain and that which if they cannot grasp, it 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 will be because they will not grasp it. You've got to have a part of your spiritual life that says, you know what, I don't understand that. I'll never understand it, but it's still a part of my world. Do you know um, the word uh, kangaroo? You know what that means in Australian? In the Aboriginal language, kangaroo means, I don't know. And it's because, it's, it does, it's because when, the, when white people went to the, uh, 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 um, Australia for the first time, there were all these things happening around. And they looked at the Aborigines and said, what are those? And they went, kangaroo.
1: <laughs>
0: and what they were saying is, I don't know. <laughs> it's true. They were a part of their world, but every time they looked, I don't know what it is. In some ways, that's what it is to love. In many ways, that's what it is to love. How's that gonna come out? I don't know. What are they thinking? I have no idea. Where's it gonna be in five years? Beats me. But I love them. Anyhow, for who they are, that's what love is. Is. And so when God comes to us with the most definitive and at the same time the least definitive name for himself of all of the names, all of the other names are descriptions, all of the other names are attributes. But when God speaks out of the burning bush and he says, I am that I am. That's all we need to know. And we need to love him for who he is. Even though we can't possibly grasp that. We can grasp enough. We can grasp enough. And if you will do that, if you will not make your religion into a rules-oriented and, 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 uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, daytime or schedule. Uh, agenda. Help me out here. Your preacher's running dry. It's the end of the morning. I'm tired. Come on, just shout my answer out, will you? Agenda-oriented. If, if you will let it be a relationship that leads you where you need to go because you were not always in control and you didn't need to be in control. As a matter of fact, you needed God to be in control. Then you will hit a height and the depth of love you have never known. Lon Garber preached last night. I had one of the few weddings I do. There was a family in here that's been here ever since I've been here and, and I love them and, and one of their kids got married. I watched this boy grow up and so I, I just went and participated in that wedding and when I did, Lon was preaching and, and he told this story, true story of a Christian in South Vietnam. By the way, we just got this great relationship with this little Vietnamese church in town. Neatest pastor. This pastor was a, was a chaplain in the South Vietnamese Army during the war. And I'm going to have him here and tell you. You ought to hear this guy's testimony. Okay, anyhow. Vietnam, It's just kind of set me off. I've been reading sweet and I just free associate all the time. Here's a true story about a South Vietnamese Christian. At the end of the war, when the Communists were coming in and, and many of the people in South Vietnam knew that in order to, us, to to have their lives, they needed to escape, this one man began to build a boat and, and, and he was going to take him, both himself and his family and several, of his, several of, his, of his neighbors along with him. Four soldiers from the North Vietnamese Army came in and knocked on his door. And this guy opened the door and they said, We have heard rumors that you are building a boat to escape. And this Christian looked right at him and said, No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's just rumors. I have no idea. You could look around. Nothing here. Well, they did look around and they didn't find anything. But they went away and as soon as he closed the door, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And he sensed God saying this to him. The truth shall set you free. You don't ever have to be afraid of the truth. You can trust me in the truth, no matter what that truth is. And he made a promise to God that if those people came back, he would tell them the truth. Two hours later, he hears a knock on the door. It's the same four soldiers And they look at him and they said, we have checked around more. And sure enough, we hear more rumors that you are building a boat. And he looked at him and his voice began to quiver. And he said, yes, I am. I was going to take my family and my neighbors and we were going to flee. And the four soldiers looked at him and said, can we go? (laughs) Now, that's not the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this, that when they got out on the sea, they realized that the only four people on that boat that had any experience in sailing at all were those four soldiers. The truth will set you free. You don't have to control. God provides and when God doesn't provide anything other than himself, that's enough. That's enough. You've got to let go and love God for who he is. And if all he says is, I am who I am, you love him for that. I don't know who... Well, I'm going to close. Let me tell you this, though. When... What, what was it like for you last week to watch that family stand up with that check for $185 million? I tell you what it was like for me. My heart went out to them. I don't know what you think every time you see somebody win that kind of money, but i tell you what I think. I think those poor people are about to be ripped apart. I don't know of very many people, if any, that can handle that kind of power and that kind of resources. I don't know very many families, if any, that could handle having that much control of their lives. And you and I have seen family after family after family be destroyed by worldly goods, haven't we? I pray for that family. I feel badly for them. But I want to tell you something. In the last month, I've probably talked with two dozen families myself, two dozen people myself, who have come to Christ. And when I sit down with them, and this is just, this is just a smattering, when I sit down with them and I say, beyond being able to live in heaven with God forever, what does being saved mean to you? And one after another after another has said this. It means I can just love God. That's all I want to do. I just want to love God. Whatever he wants to do is great with me. I just want to love God. Jackpot. That's it. There's more security and success there than anything else in this world. Pray with me. God, thank you. Let us love you for who you are, not having to fit you into our needs, not having to fit you into our understanding. Jesus, thank you that you would come into our lives and you would speak such a powerful word that you would not only be able to fit some of the things we do understand, but you would be able to lead us into most of the things we don't understand. Help us, Lord God to trust you and to love you. And as we go from this place today, to be able to sense your nearness and to go with you wherever you're going and love you whatever you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you join me in reading this scripture passage from Colossians 1, 13 through 20? Let's read it together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.